0: And what is our last installment of this mini series? we got a special one for you. Right, Elliot? Yeah, I guess it's kind of special. Everything you do is special to me, Elliot.
1: Uh, thanks. Aww.
0: So yeah, we, we've, been, we've covered a couple different stories on community defense. And we want to end the, the season, like not just the miniseries, but like our entire season before the interview series for the summer on, I think, a fairly optimistic note, we could say yeah let's go with optimistic
1: yeah we'll we'll call this case special because i think it's one of those things when, when you look back in history and obviously uh, i'll mention this again in the episode but hindsight 2020 when you have like a crystal clear picture of what happened and you can learn from what happened i think this is one of those instances um that doesn't really get talked about a lot and so i had to look into it to educate myself about it and i wanted to share with everybody else So here we are. Oh, yeah.
0: Man of the people.
1: Yeah. So what we're talking about today is uh, Iceland and its financial and banking collapse that happened in 2008 and how um, that whole global recession for the economy just rippled throughout the world and affected a lot of people in a lot of the same way. But uh, it was an interesting time because there were were so many bubbles bursting all at once.
0: Yeah, Matt, how old were you in 2008? (laughs) Actually, no, don't answer that. Yeah, I was I don't gonna say
2: that's that's sort of a, a public privacy thing, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> that
0: old. I was yeah, pretty young, pretty young. Uh, don't tell me. I
2: kind of remember it though. I remember seeing like seeing like some stuff on TV, but I think I like didn't fully grasp what was going on.
0: Yeah, I remember 2008 real well. How about you, Elliot?
2: <laughs> I remember it
1: uh, pretty well, but I didn't hear about any of this stuff until about three years after. So that was interesting because I was alive and aware of things happening in the world, but this either not flew under the radar. I remember there were a lot of things happening, but this just wasn't one of the things that caught my attention at the time.
0: Yeah. So for context uh, for listeners, 2008, beginning of the great recession, not that you guys don't know that, we had a subprime mortgage crisis going on, housing prices collapsed, stock market collapsed automakers collapsed. Basically, the entire banking sector turned out to be like built on a house of cards. Uh, and we all know how that played out in the United States, more or less. Basically, the government ate the losses. Organizations like Sally May became quasi governmentally owned in order to keep the housing market from completely collapsing and eating up the banking sector. And um, yeah, that happened across the globe. And Iceland is one of those places. But the difference about Iceland is they address the situation very differently. And there's a number of reasons for that. And Elliot's going gonna, Elliot's gonna to tell us about it a little bit.
1: Sure. So w- we'll start with um, an address that was made to the Icelandic people and the citizens by their prime minister, uh, Gerhard. And please forgive my pronunciation because I do not speak Icelandic or any of the Nordic languages very well, uh, if at all. Not at all, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but not really. I mean, no. Never, not once.
1: Right. So he addresses the people. He says, dear Icelanders, Icelanders, dear Icelanders.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the, the John F. Kennedy version. <laughs> yeah.
1: I have asked to speak to you now when I, the Icelandic nation is facing great difficulties. The whole world is now going through a great financial crisis whose effects can be equated with an economic catastrophe. Some of the largest investment banks have fallen victim to the crisis, and liquidity in the markets has in fact dried up. As a result, large international banks have stopped financing other banks, and a complete lack of trust has emerged. Due to this situation, the position of the Icelandic
2: banks has worsened rapidly in the last few days. So I don't speak Icelandic, but sort of what I'm getting from that is our banks are fucked. Right.
1: And now this this is all... The exact opposite of what he told the Icelandic people in the days and weeks leading up to this address.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is that is is he'd really taken some plays out of the American playbook.
1: Right. So in the weeks leading up to the, uh, the address, there were vague news reports and rumors going around about the global credit crunch and how it could lead to a major problem for the Icelandic banks. Now, while authorities and bank managers dismissed and downplayed these concerns, many Icelanders sensed that something was amiss. A week before the public address, the state had taken over one of the country's major banks, Glitner Bank, causing widespread concern.
0: What do you mean? That's something that countries normally do. Like last week, the United States government just took over Bank of America. I mean, it had America in the name. Of course, they were going to take it over.
1: Just makes sense. You saying China China had an eye on it and they couldn't let it happen?
0: Yeah, basically is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, that, that seems like a reason to be concerned. I, As a non-banking person and a non-Icelandic person, I would still be concerned about that.
1: Right. So Prime Minister Hard had held meetings with bank managers and leaders in the financial sector up through October 5th, the day before the public address, which was on the 6th. That night, October 5th, had stated to the press that there was no need for special action from the government as the banks had agreed to sell some of their assets or sell assets to reduce their uh, foreign debt.
0: Foreign, a.k.a. American debt.
1: Not just American debt. They had a lot of debts. Oh, yeah. They had a lot of debts.
0: Well, for the bad debts, though, I'm assuming. Oh,
1: we'll we'll get into it.
0: Oh, boy. We'll get get into it Oh, man.
1: So the very next day, October 6th, he announced the exact opposite of what he said the night before. And he stated that the global bank crisis was also bringing down the other two major Icelandic banks, which is Landsbanken and Kopting Bank. And I,
0: again,
2: don't know if I'm saying those right, but please bear with me.
0: Landsbanken is like the best bank name I've ever heard.
2: I was just going to say, what a fantastic name for a bank.
0: Yes, we are the bank in the lands, Landsbanken.
2: You hear we that? Got it. They don't even have to rebrand.
1: They are, they they retain their customers on the name alone,
0: right? They can go anywhere in the world, and people will be like, "Yeah, it's a bank with that's on the land." <laughs> so yes, I'm going to invest in that bank.
2: It sounds like just like a general name for some sort of like credit union. Oh, go down to the Lions Bank and. I mean i I can't believe
1: you guys haven't thought that. It sounds like something Andy would name because it's just two words smashed together.
0: Yeah. It's much more creative than me, first off.
2: Andy is linguistically German at heart. He just wants to smash words together.
0: You know, it does explain my pale skin for somebody who should not be this pale.
2: Yeah,
1: you're wrong
0: side of the Alps. Yeah,
1: it has nothing to do with you sitting inside the studio all day long.
0: For the last six months. Yes, it's it's winter, three years. winter time.
2: You gotta get a UV lighter, a skylight installed down there.
0: Hell yeah. I would love a skylight just like just, over me all day.
1: But before we get back to the story, I would just like to imagine I would just like the listeners to imagine Andy on vacation.
0: No, it can't happen.
1: Red as a lobster. I just, I literally just picture a dude in overalls at the beach. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. <the laughs> Andy, do you tan or do you just burn? Oh, I get very tan, actually. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. Gets
2: real, real olive.
0: Yeah. It's uh, just my. Unfortunate nature of living in a cold place and also having to be indoors for a living for a job that I've just become increasingly paler with with age. I don't know if that's possible, but it feels like with every passing year, I get lighter and lighter from not being outside as much as I should be, and that's kind of scary. Well, right, we just need to go uh, shell fishing
2: again. Uh,
0: yes, figure it out.
1: That is scary because if that happened to me, I'd I'd probably
0: freak out a little bit. e b <laughs> A weird looking dude if you were like pasty white. Thank you. I'm just saying you look good as a brown man. All right. If you were not brown, it would be kind of weird.
1: Also, thank you.
0: <laughs> it's um, the worst compliment you've ever got.
1: Yeah, I, I, I feel I, I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Prime Minister Hard of Iceland, his message is very different than what he had, what Icelandic people and citizens have been prepped for up to the weeks, up to this point. It's also cripplingly scary to hear your prime minister say all of this just in like a public address over the TV and on the radio. A lot of people had to listen to it on the radio because so many people were tuned in that the TV servers and the national... Icelandic broadcast station got overloaded, so people actually had to dig out radios to to hear all this.
0: What is this? The Obamacare website? Jesus Christ! (laughs) Nice. Sorry, that's a dated joke for everyone. Sorry, it's actually an appropriately aged joke for everyone because I think that was around the same time.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, it was. Yep, it was like a couple years later. But Mm -hmm. come
1: on, thanks, Obama.
0: Thanks, Uh, Obama.
1: So the three banks mentioned, we got Landsbank and Bank and Glitner Bank. They comprise 90% of the Icelandic banking system, and their overall budget was about eight times larger than the entire country's gross domestic product, the GDP. A large part of this, which was financed with foreign debt through currency loans, which we'll get into later.
0: Oh, I love me a good currency loan.
1: It's not great what happened. <laughs> Nerd. Not great.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, When the further you get into the banking sector and the finance sector and you learn about like all these different tools that they have, it's just like your mind is just like, how is any of this okay? It's like
1: somebody found themselves in a hole and came up with a billion ways to get out of the hole, but by like just digging the hole wider and deeper until it's gradual enough where you can walk out. But man, it's a pretty big fucking hole. <laughs> okay, so... As always, on the Poor Pearls Almanac, we have to go back and frame this up a little bit with
2: context. Oh God, Elliot, you're sounding like Andy. How many yeah, you, How many thousands of years are we going back right now? Here comes the squirrel, getting that nut. That's what I was going to say. 10,000 years ago.
1: That's what I was going to say. So so bear with me here as we go back in time, but not as far back as Andy likes to go into the annals of history and time forgotten. We're just talking about a few decades here. Oh, thank um, the, the 80s and 90s.
0: before matt's time yeah i don't like the sound of that but (laughs) whatever uh it was my time it was our time no it was my time okay (laughs) fine it was your time i'm just around to experience it
1: that's right that's why i got this microphone i'll mute you right now
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's got a taste of power it's all fucking over
1: yep that's right Okay, so the decade leading up to this point saw a lot of changes in the country's financial and economic systems. In the 90s, the state owned and operated these exclusively domestic banks, and the authorities then began to privatize the banks. And in the following years, the banks expanded greatly with the help of access to short-term loans available on the international market. By 2007, they had become large international entities, Due to the apparent success of the banks, uh, discourse and chatter emerged in Iceland, defining the bank owners and managers as extremely successful global players. And they coined the term "business Vikings" or "outvasion Vikings," and they
2: really, they really thought they were doing something. That is some like real finance bro shit.
0: Yes, like, we're so cool. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it is it it is kind of fun. <laughs> The influx of international capital had raised the standard of living while, in fact, the country's economy was running up a tap, accumulating enormous foreign debt with these short, getting these short term loans and having to obviously pay them back, but not in the short term. <laughs> so flash forward to 2008, the global crisis is now blocking the bank's access to credit, and it's making it so that the Icelandic banks are unable to meet payment deadlines to their existing short term loans.
0: So what? They found out, what the uh, business Vikings found out is what happens after you fuck around, is what you're saying. Yes. yes.
2: Unfortunately, they couldn't adopt the strategy of the actual Vikings, which was fuck everyone over and then run away. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, run the (laughs) fuck away, far away,
1: can't find us. Yeah.
0: Fuck around, fuck off.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) You
0: know, if there's anything we've learned from our Norwegian friends fuck around, fuck off. Right. Woods to live by, to be honest. (laughs) It's the American way.
2: Good lord. No, it's the Icelandic
0: way, Andy. Jesus Christ.
2: Is that what all the guns are for?
0: Yes. (laughs) It all makes sense now.
2: Andy trying to fuck off, like carrying like 30
0: guns under his arms. A couple of chickens. Again, and
2: overalls at the beach. I just
1: can't get it out of my head.
0: Getting on that little dinghy, going overseas. Never gonna Mm -hmm. find me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Any, Anyway, so we talked about how this global banking crisis, it touched on the United States and countries like Ireland as well. But those governments and those authorities, they quickly and rapidly bailed out the banks at the expense of the American Irish people, respectively. Bastards. At this point, runs on the Icelandic banks were eminent in Iceland, but the Icelandic state was not in a position to bail out its banks because the government was, in fact, too small and the banks were too large. They wouldn't even put a dent in the debt that was uh, running the country into the ground at this point.
0: I mean, you got to hand it to them. The banks were bigger than the country's government.
1: It's got that too big to fail vibe, right?
0: Oh, that took too big to fail and like gave it a fucking F-350 and was like... Check out these truck nuts.
2: <laughs> how, how many times bigger did you say that the banks were than the actual GDP? Like eight, almost
1: nine, Jeez. almost nine times larger than the country's entire gross domestic product.
2: Oh, boy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That like there's there's nothing to even compare that to for American context. There's like nothing even close. There's no business even close to meet, meeting American GDP. Yeah, there there I, I can I'm running out of ideas of even like how to like contextualize that kind of scale.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like it, it was bad. It was real bad. So the lack of a savior or a last resort, it undermined the trustworthiness of the Icelandic banks, making them vulnerable to the global crisis. And Hard continues to address this and try to frame this up as something it's not, but he tries anyway. Uh, he says, "We should keep in mind that the enormous actions that the US authorities have decided to implement to rescue their banking system comprise of about 5% of their GDP. The balance sheet of the Icelandic banks, on the other hand, is many times Iceland's gross domestic product. In the threatening situation that now prevails on the world's financial markets, a great risk would be involved for the Icelandic nation in any attempt to keep the banks afloat with a lifeline. If the worst comes to worst, there would be a real risk, dear countrymen, that Iceland's economy would be sucked into the turmoil and the result would be a national
2: bankruptcy.
0: Calming words by a leader.
2: Right. You know it's
0: gone bad when
2: they start pulling out the phrase, Dear Countrymen. Dear Countrymen, right. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, oh, oh,
0: no. (laughs) They're
1: either bringing back the draft or you don't have money anymore.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hope you like the taste of, like, leather because that's all we've got to eat. Oh, (laughs) Congratulations. That's
1: where bootstraps come from. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, no.
0: It all comes together now.
1: All right. So, unable to bail out the banks, the Icelandic authorities hasten to rescue only their domestic operations. And on the evening of hard to dress, his cabinet rushed emergency legislation through parliament, allowing the state to take over and refinance the bank's domestic savings and loans, but letting their much larger foreign operations become insolvent. The stock exchange had already been closed, and on the following day the smaller two of the three banks became insolvent. And on the third day, the largest bank collapsed. The banking system of one of the world's most affluent countries had folded in less than a week, and one of the largest bank crashes in history had struck one of the world's smallest nations.
0: Oof. <laughs> Not the look you
2: want. No, I imagine it must have been like that uh that scene from Terminator in those like few days.
1: Which scene from Terminator? <sighs>
2: It's like whether where like company, maybe, it, maybe it's like Terminator 3 or something, but like the company's like collapsing and everyone's like jumping out of windows. No, am I making
0: that up? I'm not the movie guy, Elliot.
2: I don't recall. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking
1: Robocop. Robocop, yes. At the beginning of Robocop? Yeah. I believe there is a depression, yes and do people jump out of the windows in that movie?
0: Yeah,
2: well, <laughs> it was
1: anyway.
0: It's 911 like they did that kind of stuff in Oh movies. my
1: god, I got to go
2: back and watch RoboCop. That's that's on the list.
0: Yeah. I'm going to put
1: it
2: on my list. I feel
1: like I Terminator
2: not... and RoboCop's kind of easy to mix up. No.
1: Yeah, it's got fucking cyborg robot people in it. I You know what? I'll I'll give it to you cuz both of those movies came out before you were alive, so that's yeah. fine
0: i haven't watched either if it makes you feel better
1: you've never seen either of those movies andy you would do you have
0: to ask me that question
1: you would love robocop
0: i can't believe you he's like a bad cop right or like a he hates cops or something right no
1: he was a good cop and he died for being a good cop and then he came back and was like even a better cop because he was a fucking robot now
0: Uh, okay i thought he was always a robot i didn't know he wasn't a robot at one point
1: no he was totally a person before and they you just gotta watch the movie man
0: in today's episode of What Hasn't Andy Watched? RoboCop. I'm and gonna that, actually... concludes,
2: that concludes that our concludes
0: episode. <laughs> Sorry, we, we thanks should... for
2: coming, we... everyone. We are the pros almost.
0: We should have a series. It's just you telling me movies, and then I try to describe what happens in them as I think it happens, even though I've never seen it.
1: That's how you watch movies? You just make them up in your head?
0: I'm just going to make them up. You'd be like, RoboCop. I'll be like, so you think it's about a robo a robot cop, but actually... It's not ready. Let's go back to Iceland, man. Come on. Okay, fine. You don't want to hear my RoboCop I idea. I don't.
1: I oh. really don't.
0: Okay, fine. I'm brutal. Fine. I see how it is. Tell me about Iceland. You know what? Hold on. We need a commercial, so we're gonna shove a commercial in here right now, and uh, you guys can think about what it's the- for RoboCop for. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can think about what what could be a better use for the term RoboCop that is not a robot cop.
2: Hey there, it's me, Crazy Norm, down at Normal Norm's Nut Emporium on John Brown Drive. We're going nuts for nuts in Nutty November. We've got big nuts, small nuts, chestnuts, ground nuts, nut butter, buttery nuts, nut milk, milky nuts, nut cream, creamy nuts, and for the late night crowd, chocolate covered CBD deep fried nuts. Want to join the nutstravaganza? Nut up and join the nut posse. Join other members and get your sack of nuts pounded for free whenever you come in and make the creamiest nut milk you've ever had in your own kitchen. Crazy Norm's Nut Emporium, 420 John Brown Drive or online at 4 com. All
0: right, welcome back. Hopefully you guys have some really great ideas on RoboCop because we're about to spend the next 45 minutes discussing... Well,
2: it's just like a traffic
0: camera, right? The utility of the, the Latin prefix robo in modern cinema practices. Matt, Elliot,
2: welcome. Thanks. It's potency, force, and effectiveness.
1: I, I just want to say that I hate it here so much.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? And this is your episode, so that's really fucked up. I know. <laughs> I thought it was going to be good.
0: But here I am ruining it.
1: It's just, It's not coming out the way that i had in my head
0: oh man (sighs) that's what she said oh no (laughs) okay talk about iceland tell me about this beautiful country with the bank bank where are we Uh, you tell me
1: okay so we're still talking about prime minister hard um
0: the hard minister
1: hard 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 hard. i can't speak icelandic i still can't do it
2: yeah i mean the it's two a's so the impulse really is just to go
0: hard but like rihanna yeah i'm so hard yeah yeah get it huh okay (laughs) anyways (laughs) i i know pop culture see everyone i'm hip
1: concerned with political conflict hard emphasized that iceland had been hit by a global crisis he concluded a broadcast uh asking the nation for support solidarity and peace said something along the lines of the government's task in the next few days is clear. To prevent chaos in the event that the Icelandic banks become non-operative to some extent, the authorities have various means to do so and will do so. In the political arena, as elsewhere, it is important to put our differences aside in this situation. It is vital that we remain calm and sober during the hard days ahead and that we don't lose courage and that we support each other in word and in deed. Thus armed with Icelandic optimism, courage and solidarity, we will weather the storm. So God bless Iceland.
0: I love how these fucking politicians sound like goddamn communists when shit's bad right suddenly it's our problem.
1: So you're listening to the radio you're listening to this on the radio and I can just imagine the collective jangle of keys and like shoes and like cars peeling out as they like drive to the bank try to get their money out.
2: yeah <laughs> so not a smart idea for a politician or a Scandinavian
0: politician asking people to stay sober. That's just Or God bless Iceland, like they're not exactly <laughs> Christian people usually. They have a state church. They do have a state church. Do, oh yeah, they do. Well, some of them do. They're Lutheran though. All all Norwegian countries? Do all Norwegian countries have a state church? Or Scandinavian countries, I guess, yeah. No, no, I don't think so. I know like Norway does, right? But I think that's the only one. Iceland does. Do they really?
1: They have a state church. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh. Lutheran right, you church. Know I'm, just,
0: I'm just an idiot. So I've always assumed they were not super religious. But I mean, I don't think the, the public is, but maybe the government is. Anyways.
1: There's, there's a majority in there. I, we'll, we'll, I think we'll get to it later. I might touch on it. I, I think I remember writing something about it. If not, I read it. And if we don't talk about it, you just believe me, I read it. I did research.
2: <laughs> I done did it. I did it. You know, I told my teachers in high school that same thing, but still didn't get the grade. They just gave me a C. I just
1: told them I did it. They said, get the hell out of here. I don't want to see you again.
0: I mean, that's what I did in our math class. But then he was like, no, you are failing. You need to get out of my class. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay.
1: In the days following Hard's address, the media blasted the isolated public with bad news. The bank collapse instantly wiped out the country's stock exchange, which had multiplied ninefold in value in the years preceding the crisis. Widespread capital losses and imminent bankruptcies promised a severe economic recession in the coming months. The bank crisis immediately created a fiscal and diplomatic crisis. So in the years leading up to this crisis, foreign capital had flowed into the country, enabling banks to offer individuals and businesses easy access to loans. The influx of capital had inflated the value of the Krona and raised ordinary people's standard of living, and bolstered their economic goals and expectations. But in doing all of this, the banks and the economy as a whole had accumulated enormous foreign debt, and now the privatized capital wanted out along with everyone else. The global crisis had prompted a constant outflow of foreign currency since early spring 2008, deflating the exchange rate for the krona, and as a result, the country's foreign exchange reserves are drying up many worried that the currency shortage could halt imports of basic necessities such as oil trying to keep the place a little warm because it's called iceland even though I, I don't know they probably have don't they have good geothermal and good good other
0: i mean also oil for like trucks to move food around do they use trucks or whatever they use whatever mm-hmm. it is is probably run on some kind of petrochemical
2: unfortunately they can't power it with lava not yet be fun though that would be that would be cool though this
0: is my lava truck
1: think about like lava balloons that just catch like thermal drifts and like they're like barges but they float over lava fields that'd be cool as shit
0: yeah just don't tell Elon musk about it he'll somehow fucking ruin it
1: (laughs) i don't know i've just been reading a sci-fi book so i i felt like that was something i would read in one of my, my books so to stop this outflow of foreign exchange, the authorities imposed capital controls on foreign exchange transactions. So businesses, individuals, and investors who wanted to escape Iceland would find it difficult to take their property and savings with them as they tried to leave the country.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. You know, they haven't done much right so far, but that one's pretty good. I will... <laughs> Leaving? No, not allowing them to leave with their oh. stuff. Be like, yeah go fuck yourself you are you are coming down with us you're part
1: of this country you're coming down <laughs> yeah. with us all right yeah. so the context of the crisis can be summed up with the neologism helvitis fucking fuck which is translated by some people as goddamn fucking fuck or what the fuckity fucking fuck is the translations <laughs> mm. nice well said yeah these are signs and pe- people had had these you know it, it was a slogan that people were saying during these times i guess and it is well said it's eloquent and to the point and i can understand it even in icelandic i think
2: mm.
0: even though they spell f-o-k-k which is just goofy i mean it's fun I like that clearly, like, goddamn or something is, like, "hell vitus." Like, I'm going to bastardize this, but, like, it literally looks like hell and then vitus, like, Vitis like, life. So it's, like, hell life, but it actually means, like, goddamn, I guess. <laughs> that is my very professional translation, everyone. Congratulations. Elliot's just shaking his head at me.
1: Anyway, these are the words of a 44-year-old protester who bore witness to the bank collapse that shattered common Icelandic shared reality. The result of the sudden existential shock was crippling waves of anxiety over the future, frustration at potential and realized losses, and confusion over how all of this had happened. As the fiscal and diplomatic crisis continued to unfold, many Icelandic citizens were left without a perspective on how to approach the disorienting events the unique blend of social disruption and political credibility would create a fertile battleground for popular protest in the times that came to follow.
0: Ooh, foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, yeah. I like it.
1: So the paper that I read to get all of this information was the economic crisis and mass Protest: the pots and pans revolution in Iceland by John Gunnar Bernberg. And he did a really good job, um, uh, contextualizing the history up to the protests. And then uh, he did some really good surveys and interviews to get a pulse check of the people who participated in the survey to find out that they weren't all radical people waiting to hit the streets just for any reason. These were normal people and a lot of people who even had more to lose. Some of them had still had jobs and were in the higher parts of society and stuff like that, but they still wanted better for themselves in their country. And they put all of that on the line by going out there to demand the government do the right thing. So it was really interesting, but it it, it, it's very in depth, and I like that he um, explains the different theories of sociology that are applied to protesting and the mindset behind radical movements. It's really, it's really, it was really good.
0: So we will have that in the uh, show notes for people that want to. Read more depth on this.
1: Yeah, we definitely got to give props or props is due. And you will find that in the noted sources. So the paper does a decent job of trying to identify how Iceland's historical and political history was conducive to popular protest, And it points to the idea that social theorists have known for some time that economic crises often precede revolts and mass protests. Karl Marx placed the economic crisis at the heart of his theory of revolt, arguing that crisis intensifies and unleash pre-existing conflict and increase the probability of uprisings. Previously, social theorists were preoccupied with the impact of social changes and disruptions or any major change to status quo when approaching theories about revolts and uprising. So the paper uses the theories of relative deprivation and quotidian deprivation. And this is the sociology part that I found really fascinating. So I just wanted to touch on this real quick. I'll try not to harp on it too much. But it uses two theories, relative deprivation and quotidian disruption. Relative deprivation theory implies that Crisis or other types of disruptive changes create grounds for revolt because they create widespread individual experience of frustration, of expectations, and goals. The individuals experiencing the frustration may perceive injustice at the loss, thus, motivating the individual to take part in rebellious action and against the disruption. It breaks down like this Since prosperity increases expectations and goals of the population, where during periods of growth, people learn to anticipate increased prosperity in the future. A sudden reversal of this expectation can create a mental state of anxiety and frustration when manifest reality breaks down or breaks away from antis- you know, what they thought was going to happen. This mismatch or imbalance between expectation and goals and the objective reality of loss of opportunity creates that battleground for a revolutionary state of mind. When rooted in a perceived unjust deprivation of entitlements, combined with frustration of not having bootstraps to pull up on, people do fucking revolutionary shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when you've got nothing, then you have the most to gain, the least to lose. Exactly. And I I also think that's really important to understand the U.S. because I, I genuinely believe... If we ever saw like real revolution in this country, it would not come from the Northeast. It wouldn't come from California or Oregon. I think it would come from the Southeast. I think it would be Appalachia, the dirty South, would be where where there's less to lose and the most to gain. And you have a large portion of population that's not particularly super political or Completely disenfranchised from politics, um, you know, like the African American population in the South, the Hispanic population in the South. That, like, on paper, demographically, the South should be very democratic because of the population demographics, and they're not. And but those people still live there, and they still have opinions and feelings, and they're getting uniquely screwed by living in a conservative state compared to you know marginalized people in New England, Massachusetts. So I think taking this, this concept of, uh, I guess with the exception of the expectations, like I don't think, and I could be wrong that a lot of people in the South that have grown up poor, expect things to significantly change. Like there's no reason for any belief that anything would substantially change because the government isn't changing for them.
1: And the sense of Iceland, since we're talking about Iceland in particular for this one, I think it was interesting because we'll talk about it more, but during this time. The middle class did that thing where it expanded gradually and the wages were going up very slowly. And the top class, the the people who had the most money were making money hand over fist during this time, like exponentially.
2: During the collapse or before it?
1: Before it and the decades running up to it, the rate at which the rich getting richer and regular people were meeting their day to day, you know, goals, I guess. It started out pace like crazy, basically. And so when you say expectations here, I think people just wanted to stay afloat and times were still good. Their standard of living was steadily on the rise. So there was a little bit of the keeping up with the Joneses sort of vibe happening. But I wouldn't say they were living lavishly. They were just trying to, you know, live comfortable lives.
0: Yeah. Get to that American standard of living or something like that.
1: Right. Close to it.
0: Or what they imagine the American standard of living is.
1: But with better food?
0: And healthcare? And public schools?
1: Is Iceland known for their food? I think I'm just hungry. Just I think I just
0: said that because I'm hungry. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about fish?
1: I'm okay with fish. Is
2: it salted fish?
0: Could be. Probably. And I
1: think it might be... Uh, I'll, uh, We'll get there.
2: What about like fish that's been like fermenting under a
0: rock? Oh, yeah. They definitely have fermented fish a while.
1: So they're not known
2: for their food.
0: I mean, um, they are just unique.
2: Yes. Unique. Fish, lamb, and yogurt. Which I mean, I, I could do
0: fish, lamb, and yogurt
1: at yeah. the same time. E-
0: not like in a puree, but yeah, I could probably do them at the same time. A smoothie.
2: <laughs> oh that's so, uh, that is so gnarly Reykjavik's also so I'm just like googling this Reykjavik's also got their own type of hot dog so
0: oh yeah right. that is Reykjavik I hope that adds to the episode I've been to Reykjavik I forgot about that it is a cool place and now that I think about it did you have a hot dog I did not have a hot dog. Then why were you even there, Andy? Jesus. I had a a 12 hour layover and I was in Iceland. No, it might have been like a 24 hour layover, something very short. But I remember going there and like driving. It was like four in the morning or something. So like the sun was just starting to come up or something. Like the landscape, just like leaving the airport, just looks like the moon. It was wild. Mm. But yeah, anyways, unrelated to what we're talking about here
2: right so people's like goals and expectations suddenly took a nosedive and because of the relative deprivation like they're much more likely to just like go out in the street and put stuff at risk is that what you were saying
1: yeah i think because their way of life everybody's way of life was being threatened from Mm -hmm. the top of the middle class to the poorest of the poor. Everybody was getting a shift down.
0: Except for the 1%.
1: Except for the people who could weather the storm. Exactly. And so the entire country felt like it's not our bill to pay. You know, they, mm-hmm. like they, they had lived within their means based on what they were being told that they could. And they tried to, and it, it blew up in their face. And now they were going to pay the bill while other people were going to ride the storm out comfortably, basically.
0: And collect assets or some bullshit. Right. Yeah.
2: They had the uh, wool rug pulled out yeah. from under them.
1: Right. So, so let's, let's get into the run up to it. Iceland had modernized rapidly post-World War II in that period. And they had gained full independence from Danish dependency in 1944. And by 1980 had developed into an industrialized, highly affluent welfare democracy. As of late 1980s, Iceland was homogenous, both culturally and economically. It was a society of dense social relations, acquaintances, high social and institutional trust, and strongly unifying values and norms that emphasized egalitarianism, nationalism, hard work, and sobriety. Icelanders thought of themselves as having an unusually high degree of social equality, and many experienced upward intergenerational social mobility due to the expansion of the middle class and the modernizing economy.
0: So one thing I do want to say about that is when I was in Iceland, they don't really drink alcohol. And it was only fairly recently that it was even legalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you could have it in your house, but I don't think you could like sell it or buy it. But like, I remember going to bars and it like, there was no bars. It was coffee shops that also sold beer. And often those coffee shops weren't just coffee shop. They're like, Bookstore coffee shops and things like that. It's very cool, very unique. But as a beer guy, it was a bit of a disappointment. Mm. Cool experience, though.
1: I bet they got good clear liquor over there, whatever they drink. Is it?
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember. They do have a couple of like regionally distinct drinks. I think one of them was a, a hard liquor made from birch syrup. I think. Whoa. That sounds gnarly. That sounds really good yeah
1: that that sounds like a bang and hangover like a, like one of those ones that you earned and you know it.
0: <laughs> you're proud of it. Yeah. like it's funny like now that, that you're talking about it, and it's been like 15 years since I was there, it like rings a lot of bells like the stuff you're talking about because it does make a lot of sense. It's also the only place I've ever seen walking around that people put a trampoline above their garage. Like they had a flat roof with a trampoline on it and like mm. no safety net. And I was like, this country is insane. It looks like an Ikea commercial and it's insane.
1: No, they got free healthcare.
0: <laughs> they got free healthcare. Yeah. Less <laughs> worries.
1: I think that's what you said earlier, right? That, that's what I that mean, says yes. to me. That's what, that's, that's what it's like living in that <laughs> that's, country.
0: <laughs> that's called good healthcare. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Um, so in the early nineties, the state played a fundamental role in the central planning of major spheres of the economy, culture, and morality. They had a legal monopoly on radio and television broadcasting. In fact, political parties controlled major newspapers, and there was extensive state control that ranged from price and currency controls to restrictions on uh, opening hours of stores and to the ban on sales of beer. Uh, More than 90% of the Icelandic population belonged to the Lutheran State Church, and the state owned and directly operated the major banks and credit was rationed. So in the context of political history, Iceland's cultural homogeneity and minimal ethnic diversity rarely challenged the state's protector, protectionist role. What is important to know, however, was the tendency of Iceland's state bureaucracy to be vulnerable to political manipulation. Despite an increasingly complex economy during the 80s, clientelism and nepotism were diehard fixtures of Icelandic politics and public administration. Positions in state administration and organizations were often handed out on the basis of political connections and political criteria. Financing of major projects often came about through political channels in a state-run financial program.
0: Cool. So they, they realized there's lots of ways to get rich if you control everything and yeah. you're one of those people
1: right you're so,
0: the the lucky few I,
1: I, yeah so the com- the country was on the rise economically and they were doing well but this is where you see that elite class start to bear its head and they start to pull away and it it, it gets wild it gets wild those those outvasion vikings they they definitely do that and they do it with with style and a flair
0: hey elliot you know what uh you know, you what, know else what else has style and flair, and and style and flair?
2: <laughs>
1: is this a is it a Chili's commercial? It could be. It is.
0: Yes. It's
2: our first uh, corporate sponsor, Chili's. Big Den
0: Chili's. <laughs> They're all about that. Ah, oh, sh... too bad we didn't do a Denny's commercial for this because they were owned by Denmark.
1: Um, what is that true?
0: I thought well, didn't you I- just say I- that like f- Iceland was uh, yeah from the Danish
2: dependence?
1: Oh. No, I wait, was Denny's owned by Denmark?
0: No, but they were owned by the Danish, which would go by Denny's. Because if you recall from the episode, we talked about Denny's. It was actually started by guys named Danny. Actually, neither of them were named Danny. But they had, they decided to name it Danny's for some reason, (laughs) then changed it to
1: Danny's. We need a a commercial. There's a lot of layers to to this.
0: Hold on. Let's unpack (gasps) this. Please. Hey, we're taking a quick break in the episode to remind you that you can get a whole lot more information from PoorProlls.com. On our website, we have access to our supplemental reader for the podcast, which provides more depth and context, as well as thorough citations for all of the stuff we talk about in the show. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which updates you about limited releases, such as various nursery stock that we sometimes sell through the Poor Prols website, as well as updates about new merch that we have. You can also support the show through that website, poorprols.com, where you have access to our Patreon and our Substack to get early releases for articles and episodes. Now, if you enjoy the show and are just looking for even more audio content, go check out Tomorrow Today, which just wrapped up Season 1, or tune in to the Gastropocene, which is a project of myself and Dr. Aisha Khan to discuss the way our diets have driven the Anthropocene and what it looks like to use our diets for good. Now back to the show. All right. So see, once you put it up on a graph, it starts to really make a lot of sense, right? We've got these layers to this joke and it starts when we did our episode three months ago.
2: I already got the cash from Chili's and I said they would get the ad. So it's kind of a moot point, Andy. (laughs) Is already
0: paid. Well oh, I want the cash. No. <laughs> well, then fuck chilies. Me, me and
2: Dom is splitting it.
0: Right Dom? Yes. Poor Pearl's Almanac. Fuck chilies. That is our slogan now. Oh no. <laughs> that sounds real spicy. We got that spice. The spice of life. Mm-hmm. Especially if we're fucking chilies. You know who else had the spice? Commercial. We <laughs>
2: <laughs> got big nuts, small nuts, chestnuts. All
0: right Ellie tell us about these these Icelandic people.
1: Will do. At this time, labor capital struggles and polarized ideological conflict about the then Cold War shaped politics. Four major parties represented the political camps in the Icelandic parliament. Political power was tilted to the right of the political spectrum in Iceland, in contrast to neighboring Nordic countries. The largest political party was the urban-based center-right Independence Party, backed by big business and controlled the largest newspaper in Iceland. Generally supported by 40% of Icelandic voters, this party usually controlled the executive branch of the government in coalition with a minority party. The second largest party was the Progressive Party, a center pragmatist party also backed by business as well as rural economies. Lastly, are the political left parties comprised of two camps, the center left Social Democratic Party and the Socialist Party. In the 1980s, there was a political shift away from state welfare politics to neoliberalist economic reforms and a reduction in the welfare state in the United States led by Ronald Reagan and in the United Kingdom led by Prime Minister Thatcher. This shift began to shape Icelandic politics and society in the late 80s In the 90s and 2000s, uh, global, the global tide of free market logic changed Icelandic politics, economy, and culture in fundamental ways, causing economy, particularly the financial sphere and banks and stuff, to become disconnected and disembedded from other social institutions, and eventually leading to unrestrained accumulation of
2: systemic risk for Iceland. And there's no way there could have been a downside to that, right? No, no. The only way you can go it is... It worked stuff. out well for everybody. Yes. The L- listen,
1: Matt, listen, Listen, everybody. All right. I'm a financial advisor now. And I don't think I can say this legally, but, gravity, but does, gonna... gravity doesn't exist in finances. You can only go up. So true.
0: Yeah, baby. You got to pump those numbers up. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, this was a global catastrophe that everyone saw for folks that like history that japanese dude who said um we're at th- what the fuck is it the guy who said we're at the end of history history is dead what the fuck is that quote you guys know what i'm talking about nah man mm-hmm. it sounds
1: metal like shit though enlighten me
0: fukuyama argues that francis
2: Fukuyama.
0: yes fukuyama in the 90s was talking about this idea that we were at the end of history that like they'd figured out how to fix capitalism that with like The way we had started addressing capital systems through like MMT, the monetary policy, we no longer had to worry about booms and busts. We'd figured out how to beat the booms and busts. And this was like why capitalism won over communism is because like capitalism was just going to grow forever. We'd figured it out. We'd we'd mastered the system. There was no way it would ever collapse again. That was the 90s, and everything was good forever from the 90s, as everyone remembers. Nothing bad has happened.
1: I don't know. I feel like it's uh, what we've learned, I guess, what I've learned from looking back through history is that it's all about the the bubbles. The bubbles are supposed to happen, and there's a small percentage of people who can weather those storms and ride that out and end up on the other side making more money than everybody else lost.
0: Yeah, that's called capitalism. Yeah, It's it's a fun time. So
1: so is that what you mean by we figured out how to beat the bus? Because I haven't figured it out. But
0: oh yeah. So so it turned out that he was completely fucking wrong. But like the idea was that with globalism, the idea that like now everyone's economy is intrinsically tied to one another, there'd be fewer wars or no wars because like you can't for corporate reasons you can't attack other countries where you also have businesses in those countries. That because we had figured out how to fix economic, you know the downturns in capitalism, that we would never have a downturn in the economy because the government would fix it. And like, it was only going to be good forever. And like, the borders were permanent now because like, we have businesses and all these like regulatory practices on a global scale to keep things from like world wars happening.
1: Yeah, I want whatever that guy was on.
0: Right. Yeah. Sounds pretty nice.
1: I'll take two, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good times. So anyways, tell me about how he was entirely right, Elliot.
1: Okay, so we'll go with the Independence Party. They would lead the way and uh, lead these developments in the political sphere with younger party members at the helm in the late 80s and early 90s. They replaced the party's traditional pragmatic conservatism with an outspoken neoliberal agenda of cutting welfare spending and opening up business freedom. 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 Uh, This agenda decreed that state-centralized planning and market capital restraints were outdated means of running an economy. They needed to be updated with an entrepreneurial initiative driven by unrestrained free market competition. Unleashing the forces of private enterprise would benefit society by fueling economic growth. Elsewhere, the end of the Cold War sparked the rise of the free market ideology in Iceland. And with the most powerful political party adopting the mindset, it led the way in changes in welfare policies, regulation of business and finance, taxation, and state ownership. In 1991, Iceland's Prime Minister, Odson, which I'm pretty sure I said that right, and the successive cabinets that followed, they made major moves toward financial liberalization and decreased income redistribution through taxation and welfare benefits. The Iceland Stock Exchange was established at the beginning of this decade as well.
0: Now, do you think this guy whose name is Odson, his last name, Mm -hmm. he's the son of Odd? Yeah, that's how it works yeah so he's the son of someone who is odd is that what we're getting from this his name is odds what is odds versus odd
1: o d d s is the name and then s o n is the son part
0: i know i'm saying though like is odds different than odd
1: i mean odds would be a name would sound like a name odd just sounds odd
0: yeah like nice yeah this is what happens when you're in charge this is my episode damn it you become you that's right rather that's right it's it's beautiful um yeah this is this is a lot of fun to see the thing that happened everywhere in the world happen in one other place and you know again as we keep saying it's never turned out bad anywhere so why would we expect it to here
2: yeah that's gonna be the the bumper sticker for this episode. Some shit about how
0: everything <laughs> sucks. Some <laughs> shit. <about> <laughs> shit.
1: <laughs> that, that is an awesome bumper sticker.
0: Yes. Matt's bumper sticker. That's awesome. Slogan. I would buy once that once again.
2: Yeah, I think we just need to get the. We need to print like one bumper sticker per episode.
0: It seems like a lot of work, <laughs> but I like the <laughs> initiative, Matt. Thanks. I'll get on it.
2: I got a sticker guy.
0: Although I think that one would do fucking great.
2: What what did I say? Some shit about how everything sucks. <laughs> yeah, I think that would do pretty good. Yeah. Didn't you have one
0: from another episode? Oh, he's had like six. I've
2: been trying. I I think there's one in most episodes.
0: I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. All, All
2: right. On the list. Listeners, if you would like one bumper sticker that says some shit about how everything <laughs> sucks, let me know. In quotes, the poor Pearl's almanac. <laughs> okay,
1: here, here, here's a fun, here's a fun one. Here's some, let's get I'm, some I'm, fun
0: facts from I'm Elliot. Trying,
1: no, I was gonna say here's a fun one about liberalization of the free market. They they unleash those market forces. I was gonna get an example of Iceland.
0: Give me. Give me that Iceland.
1: All right. So an example of the changes that were made and start like in 91, 1991 and around then the state permanently adopted a transferable quota system in Icelandic fisheries. Permission to catch fish became the private property of individuals who could sell or rent that permission out. And the fishing quotas became a major source of rent seeking and soon became concentrated in the hands of large companies. This became a topic of political debate in Iceland, especially when quota selling began to leave fishing communities around the country without any catch permits.
0: Ah, the whale of my fishers, unable to catch fish
1: without permits, (laughs) they don't have permission to.
0: To vegans, approve this? Yes.
1: Bureaucracy, man.
2: Uh, (laughs) Nothing like liberalizing your fishery is like not letting anyone catch fish. That's
1: how we do it. Got to pay, pay to play. Uh, Another example is in 1994, Iceland became a member of the European Economic Area Agreement, sort of like a halfway membership to the European Union. This membership entailed freedom of trade and movement of capital and labor among member countries, and restrictions on the flow of that capital were soon abolished. Later, in 1997, the state authorities decided to spur investment by taxing individuals' capital gains by 10% welfare benefits began to lag behind real income and flatter income tax rates with low tax on capital gains led to increased inequality in real income. Now, because economic growth was substantial as it had been in the previous decade, the Icelandic public experienced continual increases in their standard of living. And the thing to point out here, however, like I said before, is the rate at which those increases occurred for the wealthy and for the rest of the country and everybody else, the country began to see a wider gap, and that continued to grow.
0: They wanted a taste of America. They got the whole Big Mac.
1: They're going to die of Coca-Cola poisoning.
0: The union organizers are going to die from Coca-Cola poisoning.
1: Doesn't everybody die from Coca-Cola poisoning?
0: No, that's the new stuff, the sugar-free shit. Have you heard about this? I was going to say, no, it just gives you um, kidney stones. Oh, no, the new stuff. The It begins with an E. It's like one of those... spardamine? No. Nope. It's not a name you would recognize. It's like ethereterol or something. Oh, Uh, ethereterol? No. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They use it like with monk fruit a lot for for, like sugar substitutes. But they just recently uh, had some research come out. And of course, this stuff's been on the market for like a decade. It's used a lot in like keto products for like keto foods. Mm -hmm. But they basically linked it to being like, it's as bad for your heart as being diabetic. Like it is awful for your body and you're just like shoveling it into your body and uh, i have a feeling it's gonna be one of those things in the next year is going to be pulled off of shelves and people will be living with the consequences of it for like a decade it's gonna be fun
1: i think that's a great way uh place to end the episode we're just gonna make this a two-parter
0: yeah it was it
1: was way it was way too long
0: yeah. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Uh, we'll be back with part two very shortly. Uh, I know you're all bubbling with excitement to hear Elliot talk about the whitest country on earth.
1: I want to go there. I want to <laughs> go to see the lava fields. I want to drink whatever booze are legal over there and probably some of the ones that aren't whatever. Because you said they can't buy it. So they probably I'm guessing they
0: make it. They in, used to.
1: I'm guessing they make it in tubs. Like that's probably the traditional way people get their booze.
0: Well, I think they've, like, when I went there, I think it had only been legal for, like, a year or two. So, I'm guessing the culture around it's changed a lot since then, but, like. Uh,
1: I can't wait to go to Icelandic village and find the village drunk. He's, like, he's like new at it. He's, like, not good at it, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's only been the village drunk since the mid-80s. Yeah. It'll be, like, their late 2000s, maybe, like, 2010, 2015. So, he's only got, like, 8, 10 years under his belt. Come on. Building his way up.
1: I'll teach him how it's done. I went to a state school.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, you did. So, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. If you didn't, then I'm sorry. That you sucks. You heard about a great bumper sticker, so there's that.
1: We, we kind of cut you off abruptly here, but the next part, we're going to finish up this disaster of an economic system because we'll, we're going to talk about how it really did, like it was getting good and just greed and just the the want for more when you've already gotten more than you can handle it
0: is the the road to ruin yeah so
1: I, it's why i don't gamble anymore
0: it's the actual highway to hell
1: yep yeah. right so come on back we'll we'll finish up in iceland and then you know we'll probably come out with more episodes that you're going to listen to because this is the poor pros almond hell yeah ppa all day all day
0: peace Later. some shit about the countries or what was it that the bumper sticker was Fuck. <laughs> 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 that's it <laughs> done